speak across time, speak across generation. Wow. Did it, it amplified on speak, huh? Just like we planned. Well done. <laughs> we have any other tricks I don't know about? Is that the only one? Cool. Okay. We just, just wasted it. <clears throat> but I wonder if this idea of a living word is not just this uh, supernatural power of these scriptures, but if it's also to be a reminder that this word transcends into our very lives. And so not only is this the living word, but this is the living word. Don't miss the sermon that's already been preached today. I'm standing here, I've got a microphone, I've got a Bible. There's some signifiers that this is the sermon in. There's a stool. There are lights directly on me at this moment. My voice is now officially amplified. But don't miss the sermons that have already been preached today. Don't miss the lives that have been prayed for, lives that are living beyond just this time and space in this moment, in this church, in this sanctuary, in the safety and security of us all being together. Don't miss the sermons that are quiet and unseen. Don't miss the sermons of babies crying and babies plural, Alicia. I did the twins thing. Um, you chose this? <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just going to be honest. My sympathy has a limit. And this is like we're close. We're close because you chose this. Don't miss the sermons that will be proclaimed as three beautiful girls, young women, will be baptized in just a moment in those waters. Don't miss their sermons. And this is not the beginning of their sermon. God has been writing a story through their very lives since before they had breath. Don't miss those sermons. Don't miss the sermons of those of us who gathered in this room and who lifted our voices and some of us who could proclaim verbally out loud for our neighbor to hear and others of us who saw those words and were like, Lord, I'm not sure if I can sing that one to you. There's still a sermon to be written even in that. Don't miss the sermons of those that we find in the book of Acts before we get to our, our brief snippet of a passage today. This isn't up on the screen, but I was reminded of this. It's in Acts chapter 4. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They saw these miracles being proclaimed by these men. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. They had no fuller seminary education. Oh. <laughs> Guilty as well. Guilty as well. Uh, they were astonished. And they took note. What did they take note of? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note. I just did. You want me to say it again? Okay. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where's your credentials? Where's your badge? By what authority do you come and proclaim the signs and wonders that you walk in? Oh, it's not me. Remember Jesus? You see, I was with him. You see, he's, he's a part of my life, and I'm a part of his. He knows my name. When I walk, when I talk, 
even the aroma of Christ that is upon me. Take note. I've been with Jesus. And not just in my 15 minutes of quiet time in the morning with my Bible and my journal and, yes, my coffee. Sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't. But that's those 15 minutes in that perfect security sanctus moment of that chair, that's not the only time you're with Jesus in your day. You have been with Jesus lying in your bed. You have been with Jesus in the midnight hour. You have been with Jesus on the 210 to the 134 <laughs> to the five, no, to the 10, to the five, 10, five, get off now. Sometimes you feel like Waze is just messing with you. It is just like, Doug, this would be fun. Turn right now. Took note because these men had been with Jesus. Acts chapter eight, verse one. Purposefully, I have these side by side because there is a foil, a comparison that happens on the left side and then moves into the redemptive life of Jesus on the right side. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. A great persecution broke out in response to the grace of Stephen's sacrifice. If you missed the sermon that was proclaimed with words in a microphone last Sunday by Pastora Inez, I recommend going and finding out about this abounding grace, this gritty grace, this ordinary grace of Stephen. A Stephen who, by the way, in his very last moments, in his very last words, looked so much like Jesus. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went both in word and in deed, I believe. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowd heard Philip and saw with eyes to see and ears to hear the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. On the left side of the screen, we are filled with the heaviness, the brokenness, the weight, the loss, the suffering, the shame of following Christ Jesus. And when we find ourselves in this left-sided world where there's a great persecution against the church, so often, so many times, in so many conversations, that persecution seems to be a result of the world's influence. The world is persecuting Christians. I think I'm in a safe enough space to say this. The greatest persecution my faith has ever endured has not come from the world. As a follower of Jesus, the greatest persecution my faith has ever endured has come from those in the faith. It has come from those of the religious power, those of the religious elite, those who are in the room where it happens. That is where the persecution has originated from. In fact, when we compare the world and the church, the greater burden of love is far more 
on the church to express that love to the world. The world, whoever, whomever, however, that whatever that is, that ethereal thing, the world, some sort of world that somehow happens on the other side of that wall, but not in this wall. The world bears no burden of grace. The world bears no burden of sacrifice and generosity. The world bears no burden of going, wow, you smell like Jesus. No, that burden has been put on the church. That responsibility of love and sacrifice has been put on the church. And so we find ourselves in these stories as we go back, locate the original source of the persecution, and it'll often be the religious leaders themselves, not the world in some other way. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles, they're scattered. So a persecution, it breaks out. They are scattered. Godly men bury Stephen. They mourn deeply for him. Saul begins to destroy the church. Pastora told us last week that grace was chasing Saul. Saul is still just out of reach. And in that liminal space before grace can consume him, captivate him, he is going to take every last breath to take everybody down that he possibly can as an opposition to grace. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. I imagine we have a social imagination for an analogy today. What it looks like for those in bed, those associated, those connected to religious power to have the capacity to imprison those whom they choose, to separate those whom they choose. House to house, drags them off, puts them in prison. What we see on this left side is a power that is far greater than any the world might possess. This is the kind of power that Jesus preached about. When he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But before that, there is a thief. There is a greater, darker power than any world might possess. And there is an enemy that longs to steal, kill, destroy, lie, and divide. And so the power that we're up against to embody and activate this grace is, a, is so often misguided. We so often waste our energy in places that are not nearly deserving of all of the angst and frustration and anger that we bear. No, our, our enemy is the enemy. And the enemy has the ability to compel others to not live into a life and love and justice of Jesus. And so if we can remind ourselves of an enemy that has the capacity to do exactly what the enemy did way back in the garden, and even to Eve and to Adam right there by her side, just twist the truth just enough to make them doubt the power and presence of Christ Jesus, to make them doubt the power and presence of God. That same power is alive, and it's alive and, and present in our lives as well today, too. We who are prone to wonder, and Lord, we feel it, can still find ourselves living a left-sided vision of our faith. 
that is filled with brokenness, that feels so scattered, that at times is not only burying us, but burying others, that requires deep lament, deep mourning, that looks like destruction, and that can imprison those who are always called to be set free. But the right side, the right side is the call that we celebrate today. The right side is the kind of call that we can bless and dedicate and anoint. The right side of this passage is the kind that as folks are coming up to be baptized in just a moment, we wanna say, you wanna know what the life and love of Jesus looks like? Do you know what it looks like to activate your faith, to see grace embodied that looks like this? It looks like those who had been scattered then proclaiming the goodness of this living word, this sermon that is beyond one preacher with a microphone. Those who would proclaim this living word wherever they went. And so Philip would do just that. Philip would go down to a city in Samaria and proclaim the Messiah there. What Philip is embodying, even in this moment, I'm so reminded of a woman at a well with a slow, deep, long, beautiful conversation. A woman who finds herself in a theological dialogue with the Messiah she's always longed for. This one who tells him, we will worship one day in the same place and in the same way. We will not be separated as Jew and Samaritan. Why are you talking to that Samaritan? Don't you know there's a division between our faith here present and those in Samaria? And yet, Jesus says, the Messiah, the one you've always been looking for, right here, speaking to you. This same Philip goes down to a city in Samaria. And what does he proclaim? The Messiah. The same Messiah that Jesus said is present here and now, even to you. When I say the living word, I'm talking about those who live echoes in lives of Jesus that look like this. Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus smell like that? Didn't Jesus act like that? When they look at our lives, will they say that? When we are in relationship with one another's lives, will we go, that, that sentence of your life that you just lived out, that looks so much like something Jesus did. Hold up, let me get my Bible. Actually, let me just ask one of the older saints in the room because they have memorized this thing. I don't know how or when. When they heard Philip and saw the signs, they all paid close attention to what he said. When they heard and when they saw, they paid close attention. They had ears to hear and eyes to see. And then with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. The heaviness of the brokenness, of the loss, of the darkness, of the dis-ease, of the pain, of the suffering. It is so present even in the liberation movement. It is so present even on its way out, it lets out one last shriek. Saul, you are destroying the church. That's not the end of your story. There will be more to come, but he's got a loud last shriek as he is destroying women and men, as he is aiming to destroy the faith. With loud shrieks, many who were paralyzed or lame, they are healed, and there is great joy in the city. 
I invite you to live a life of Jesus that is a living word, a right-sided page of that passage kind of word, uh, an invitation into liberation, an invitation into hope, an invitation into healing, an invitation to walk in the footsteps of Jesus where you find yourselves in that very living word in your very real, tangible, concrete life with your imagination, with your aspirations for beauty and hope and goodness in healing, in immigration work in the San Gabriel Valley, as educators with kids that will not be quiet or sit down in the slow, steady moments of a relationship that you fear is falling apart, but you are trying with all of the grace of Christ Jesus to hold on and to trust that grace will be enough to hold you both. In this living word, you may endure what sounds like a shriek, but on the other side of that shriek, there may just be a salvation. And I hope that you stay with it long enough to not be so turned away by the shriek that you miss the saving power of God that is present right there in your story. God, I pray for our people. I pray for this church. I pray that we would be an embodied activation of your grace, God. That we would be the life, love, and justice of Jesus. And not in some self-righteous, high and mighty way unto the world. But God, that we would go to places where when we turn a corner, realize you have been here all along. You were always ahead of us anyway. We don't have to bring you somewhere where you have not been. Your very words have touched it all already. And so may we be surprised instead to simply see where you've always been. And God, would you just ready and steady our hearts? May they be both soft enough and strong enough to withstand the shrieks. Those moments where we know that your healing power is present in our relationships, in our bodies, in our lives, in our world, in the systemic injustices of our days where there's some really loud shrieks if we're listening close to the news cycle. But may we stay with the thread of your story, a thread of hope, a thread of goodness, a thread of sacrifice, a thread of love, God. And so I pray over every person here. I pray over their living word, their very life. May you invite them even today into a place of hope, into a place of healing. And as they walk into that story, God, may they do so as those who have simply been with Jesus. By what credentials, by what authority, by what right? As those who have been with Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen.